We are seeing new emerging food trends everywhere as the world slowly comes out of the COVID-19 pandemic protocols. I talk with Lilian Fruin in France about what new trends he sees in France today. It's on tip of the tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. So we're here today with Lilian Fouin, who is joining us from France. And welcome, Lilian. It's so nice to see you. Hi, Liz. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how the pandemic has affected food and what's going on in France right now in the sort of give us an overview. Yeah, sure. So like everywhere in the world, we've been affected by the pandemic. Now uh, we are just leaving the lockdown. It means that, for example, restaurants, because it's uh, interesting for us, are just reopening uh, last week. But now they just can sell food outdoor in the street, but now inside the restaurant, people uh, used to wear the mask everywhere. So we are just living this uh, very difficult period, but we are very enthusiastic for, for the following. Yes, it makes you feel like you, you're free if you can go to a restaurant or do some kind of gathering. Yes. Yeah. I did my first restaurant uh, last week, just after the reopening. I can say it's very, very good to, to, <laughs> to be there. So what do you think that the other kinds of implications are for the country in terms of food? What else is developing in terms of trends in, in food? For example, what are chefs doing right now? Okay, so it has been a very difficult period for, for the chef. Nowadays in France, chefs are very popular personalities and, and we can say that their voices are very listened by the politics, for example. So it was the occasion for French people to learn a lot of, but about restoration, about the, the work of the chefs, the restaurants. And it's also a lot of uh, repercussion in the way people in France think they eat, for example, um, the way they uh, consider food. And the way, uh, how can I say? For example, in France, we have a lot of people who, uh, who, uh, who, who want to come back in the homemade food, for example. Mm -hmm. So people started to cook with their children at home, starting to have more interest about the, the origin of their product they use. And, and it was obviously very easy with the teleworking because people have more time to cook at home and to have interest for food. So I'll give you an example for me that was very similar to that. Of course, I used to always buy mayonnaise in a jar. Okay. And then the pandemic came 
And I said, oh, I'll just make mayonnaise. <laughs> and so I've been making mayonnaise instead of buying it in a jar. And I don't think I'm going to go back. I think I'm going to always make it because it tastes so much better. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so chefs, have they been talking about their workers? Have they been talking about any of the other implications of food? Where Because if people start to cook more at home, are they going to return to restaurants with, to the same degree? Yes, I think they, were, they are going to return to, to the restaurant. Chefs were uh, uh, mainly uh, speaking about the, the repercussion on their activity. Uh, but there is, there, we have a big transformation of the way chefs find their customers. For example, now in France, we have a, a big trend of delivering and takeaway that doesn't really exist before the pandemic. And we have a lot of platforms that you know uh, in the US, but who are very new in France. And people used to, to practice this uh, platform very often uh, now to get their food from the restaurant. So we have this trend of people uh, who want to do their own food, but we also have a lot of delivering proposition uh, for people to have the food from the restaurant in their home. Okay, well, that's really, that's really interesting. That must be really different now to have that, but it, it could save you a lot of time and you get really good food. So that's, that's great. Yes, yes, we've been having that in, in the US for quite some time where you get food from restaurants delivered. One thing that we've started to see in the US is that some restaurants that are famous for a particular thing like turtle soup or something like that, you can buy that pre-made at the grocery store now. Okay. So if you're going grocery shopping, but you also want turtle soup from such and such restaurant, you can buy it. Okay, we don't have this in France now, I think, but maybe it's coming <laughs> because it's always coming after the US in France. But, but we saw, for example, some triple stars or triple star in the Michelin uh, guide restaurants who started to deliver food, which was very new and doesn't exist before the pandemic because they were also impacted uh, by the pandemic and they have to find new ways to, to sell their food and to be known by the, uh, their customer. Yes, it's a new reality. But I think much of it will carry over when things go back to normal, I think. Yes. So what are journalists saying? How is uh, food journalism uh, changing in this time? Uh, food, food journalists, uh, they, uh, I think they support the chef and uh, the different uh, restaurateurs. They are part of the same uh, uh, sphere and, uh, and sector um, because um, we, we had uh, a kind of... Uh, angry from the, the restaurateurs against the government, for example, because they feel like they were not supported by uh, the government during the pandemics, despite the fact that they had a lot of economic help from the government. So a lot of publication of the journalists are uh, still um, uh, speaking about this fact. That, uh, what did the restaurateurs want? 
what did they say would have been better if the government gave them? What kind of support would they have looked for? Basically, they wanted to open before, before the ah, last week. Okay. And, uh, and they are still uh, wanted to have more economic help from the government. Uh, but basically, they, don't, they just wanted to work. This is the, the very big problem with the pandemic because we have to preserve people from the, the disease and we have to, to, keep, to keep working and to keep uh, living. Yes, it is tough <laughs> to balance all of that. Yes. And what about farmers, producers? What about them? I don't think that they have been more impacted uh, by the pandemic, not as much as the, the restaurateurs. For example, uh, but I know that there was there were some commercial uh, market that uh, rules with the, the internet or with some networks. Uh, for example, um, cheese producer from uh, Auvergne, which is a very big uh, area of uh, cheese production in France, they use the internet to, to sell the the production that was destined for the restaurateurs before. So they also have to find uh, new markets and, uh, and new customers to sell their production. Uh, so this is also an interesting thing for uh, uh, customers because now they can uh, be very close uh, from the, um, the start of the, the, produ the production of cheese, for example, or other uh, ingredients. So, so what you're saying is people were able to purchase cheese directly from the makers, from the producers over the internet. So it was delivered then through some sort of delivery service? Yes, that's it. So with delivering service. And were other things besides cheese being delivered? I think it does exist before, maybe for cheese too. But now, like uh, very small farmers or very small producers in very rural uh, regions and areas in France uh, were uh, cut from their uh, traditional uh, market. So with the internet, it's very easy right now to create a website, for example, or to be part of uh, a website to gain some visibility. And they have to, um, to apply uh, for, for being... Uh, 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 related with, uh, with their new customers. Okay, I think that's very interesting. Did grocery delivery also develop? We have a, a big grocery delivery business that is now developing in the U.S. It was beginning before the pandemic, but the pandemic made it explode where people were afraid to go to the grocery or to a market or whatever. So you can order online the whole um, inventory of the grocery and then either go pick it up already in boxes or have it literally delivered to your door. And that means you don't have to go to the grocery and it's kind of convenient because you're like, however much time it takes you to go through the inventory of the store is much less time than going there yourself and carrying the groceries and then going to your car and all of that. Yes. So a lot of people are doing that. 
Is that developing in France? Yes, we observe uh, exactly the, the same things. It, it does exist before, but it's now getting more common. For example, we have this big chain of grocery called Carrefour, maybe you know in the US, yes. uh, and they based their model in the big supermarket. And uh, now they have some difficulties uh, with their, their competitor because they didn't have the structure to sell uh, with delivering. So they are now changing uh, their, their model. Uh, we are leaving the big supermarket in France for a small uh, and very um, close grocery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and for delivering too. So now people used to do their uh, their shopping uh, in the web, and used to to get their grocery directly in the in their car. So another thing that is developing in the U.S. right now is to get your groceries from a company that buys food that would be thrown away. So it perhaps isn't pretty enough, you know, how you, you say, oh, this, I don't want to buy this apple because it's misshapen or, you know, it's a carrot that has a little thing sticking out of it or mm-hmm. something like that, but it tastes like a carrot. It just isn't pretty. And so now there are companies that buy all of those things and then they sell that food at a reduced price and all this is done over the internet till they buy it in bulk and when food is sorted grade a grade b grade c because of its its visual appeal not because of its nutritional or taste appeal or anything like that it's just visual they buy the b and the c category and then you can buy that instead of like turning it into trash or maybe it might go to some secondary use now it can still be used as food and is that developing in France at all have you seen that yes uh, it does exist too so we have on our smartphone some platform that we can use to get some food that we are destined to be a uh, uh, throwaway uh-huh. uh, trash and uh, so we can sold, uh, we can sell this food uh, who was unsold before. So the name of uh, this uh, platform are, for example, Too Good To Go. Um, and the uh, other one is uh, Phoenix because it's uh, uh, food that, that uh, have a second life. Yes. And um, we also have uh, in some supermarkets a category of food called the, ang- the ugly vegetables. <laughs> uh, so they are they are cheapest because they are ugly, but they are as good as the other one. And right. for for some customer in France now, it's even better to have uh, something ugly because it shows that it's not too industrial and too how can I say uh, yes too too industrial and uh, too uh, uh, not the same uh, always the same. Right, right. I, I love that idea that now it's trendy to have ugly food. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what are the academics telling us about what's going on in France now with food? Uh, the, uh, the academics, uh, uh, I've 
I've not listened a lot of things about the pandemic, especially, but I can uh, tell you about uh, some uh, very important trends uh, today in, um, in the academic research. For example, uh, we have uh, different subjects, uh, very interesting, very interesting uh, that we call the touristification, for example. I think it's interesting because you, you work in, in a museum and tourist uh, fact is very interesting for you. Right. And we also have this uh, touristification of gastronomy here in France. Um, so, uh, so it's the way that gastronomy induces uh, a local development, for example, in a city or in the countryside, and uh, how it can induce uh, economic growth in some territories. So are we talking about agro-tourism, where you can go to visits to farms and to see producers and things like that? Or are we talking about eating in people's homes or as a tourist or something like that? What, what does it actually cover? I think it gathers uh, these two things and some others. For example, uh, we have um, a lecturer, a searcher, called uh, Jason Bessier. Uh, she said that when um, uh, she, she, uh, she said that the high points of gastronomy and local cuisine along the tourist roads uh, are objects of travel rituals and acts acts of collection. It means that uh, people now, when they are visiting uh, a country uh, or a, a region uh, in France, they want to, uh, to do very special things and they feel that their holidays are not achieved if, for example, when they go to Toulouse, they didn't eat a cassoulet or if uh, when they go to Aldasse, uh, they didn't eat a choucroute. So, um, so this, <laughs> this, is a, this is a very motor role uh, in, the, in the way people imagine their, uh, their destination and, uh, and their travel. Well, I'm surprised too that people aren't picking olives and blueberries on their vacation because I could see doing all of those things that would be actually a lot of fun to, and then to go to Dijon and watch them grind mustard seeds and things like that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That could be fun and it makes you feel closer to the food and then you bring home the mustard with you. Although I'm sure you can get it at the grocery store. Yes, sure. And uh, what you say is true when people go in holidays in France, one of the best souvenirs that, that you can bring back uh, to your home, to your family uh, or some friends is food. Uh, you will not buy uh, an, an object uh, uh, or uh, uh, I don't know exactly, but you will buy some, some food and it's the best thing that you can buy when you are going back uh, from holiday in France. Yes, because it was bought on location. Yes, yes. that would be really interesting. <laughs> are there any other trends besides um, agro-tourism and kind of really gastronomic tourism that, that are new trends that academics are writing about? Anything uh, to do there, with there is, waste or anything like that? There, there is something that is related both to uh, tourism and uh, new trends in the gastronomy. Uh, we also have a lot of local uh, producing, for example, brewery, uh, mm -hmm. like microbrewery. Yes. Um, 
it's a good example because in France, 10 years ago, I think we just have two or three brands selling uh, beer. So we had a kind of monopoly around beer. And, uh, and to be honest, the beer was not very interesting, uh, very tasty. And, um, and now we have um, a bunch of micro brewery everywhere in France that are producing their own beer. And uh, what is also interesting is that they use a very typical and uh, endemic uh, ingredients uh, to, to create the beer. For example, if you are in Brittany, they will add some uh, buckwheat uh, cereal, which is very endemic from this part of France. If you are going to Corsica, uh, they will add uh, chestnut in the beer. And in the mountains, it could be some mountain plants. So, so we have a, bill, um, a very interesting um, uh, panorama of, uh, of a lot of different tastes in the beer, but it could be also in other production. And it refers to the idea of terroir, mm -hmm. uh, which is very present here in France, uh, which means that uh, one territory will have some um, uh, geological, cultural, agricultural quality that, that you can uh, uh, see in the, in, the area, in the ingredients coming from this place. Yeah, so the beer is very much from the place. Yes, that's that's very interesting. And um, it's pretty new for us in France because we are a wine uh, country. Mm -hmm. It goes always for wine, but I think it's changing and people are want to discover beer right now. Well, the thing about beer too is it doesn't take as long before you can drink it. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have to age forever. <laughs> so... Do you think that people are, um, are, are gardening more if they have the space to do it and, and planting vegetables and things like that? Are they growing their own food more? I don't know if uh, they are doing it, it more. I come from the countryside, so it's very usual for people here to have their own garden, to grow their own vegetables. Maybe the, the cultural practice is changing because before people were uh, used to grow their vegetables with some chemical products, for example, but now they, they don't want to use them. So they are trying uh, to find a very natural way to grow their, their vegetables. I think it's changing and uh, I think new generation are always uh, very interesting uh, by the fact of growing their own food in their uh, own uh, garden. And so do you think that in schools that there is a trend to grow, grow food and, and perhaps learn about the garden and how to cook the food and things like that? I don't have children yet, so I don't really know. <laughs> I, I remember when I was a child, we were used to, we were informed about the, the importance of eating well. So I think it's uh, it's a trend that is uh, going uh, reinforced now. I don't know exactly where are the 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 the, the thing that, uh, that that we told. In the U.S., there is a big trend for there to be gardens, even in nursery schools, 
but also in elementary schools where children tend the garden as a part of their studies. And they use the garden for learning about insects and nutrition and all of that sort of thing. And then they harvest whatever they've grown and they make food out of it that they get to eat. And especially in cities where children may not ever see such gardens, it is usually a way for them to learn so that they understand that spaghetti, for example, doesn't grow on a tree or uh, peanut butter doesn't grow in a jar on the tree, things like that. Yeah. <laughs> because I think that a lot of children actually probably think that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. I, I remember this anecdote in France. We used to say that people from the city don't know that uh, egg, for example, come, for, come from the, uh, the um, not the chicken, sorry, the... Uh, the uh, uh, the egg. It does, does come from a chicken, yes. Yes, they, they think that it doesn't come from the chicken. They think that it's uh, made uh, by the industry, for example, or like milk is not coming from the cow. Right. Yes, and they think chocolate milk comes from a different kind of cow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, purple one. <laughs> so anything else you can tell us? I think I have a, an interesting project to uh, to tell you about because it's uh, related both to France and uh, and the US. And uh, I think that this project uh, very uh, shows and uh, gather all the trends that we are talking about. It's called um, uh, Grand de Sel. This is a, a chocolate brand from Brittany, and uh, Grand Sel uh, is a, is a kind of uh, of play word. Uh, in English, uh, like grain of salt or grain of sail, uh, like sailing uh, with a boat, with a ship. Uh -huh. And um, the, the aim of this uh, project is to create and to produce uh, chocolate with a very low impact um, on the uh, environment, mm -hmm. with uh, reducing as much as possible the, um, the food, uh, the um, the CO2. Uh, oh, the footprint. carbon footprint, yes. Yes, the carbon footprint. And for that, they use a sailboat, which is also a cargo. So uh, they don't use fuel to move the, the boat. And they start from Brittany with a stock of a bottle of wine, French wine, like natural and uh, bio biological wine. And they are uh, traveling across the Atlantic to reach the city of New York. And when they are in, in New York, they sell uh, the bottles to local uh, partners, like uh, restaurants, like some groceries in New York area, maybe um, uh, in other parts of the U.S. And when it's done, they are going to the Caribs and to the South uh, with the empty uh, uh, boat. Oh, an empty boat. Okay. With the empty boat. And they are bringing back cocoa uh -huh. uh, and coffee in France. And when they are in France, uh, they can create their own chocolate with a lot of different flavors and ingredients uh, also related to their own territory. So this is a very interesting and significant example of uh, what we can do 
to uh, to improve the way we we create uh, the, the the products and, and food. So, are these chocolate bars? Chocolate, yes. Yeah, chocolate yes. bars. Uh huh. Are they very very expensive? They are a bit more expensive than normal chocolate, but you know, chocolate is not so cheap here in France. So uh, people are uh, feel good to pay a bit more to have very good chocolate. And they, um, they are and also... Does it uh, taste very good? Yes. I mean, it, do they, it, they make sure that it tastes very good? Yes, it is very good. And it's uh, also original because you have some very particular taste and ingredients uh, like flour of salt, uh, like again, uh, buckwheat because it's from Brittany mm -hmm. and like some other, uh, some other flavors and ingredients. So it's uh, interesting because it's a very pragmatic way to, to create uh, food. Uh, it's come, it comes from the personality of one person uh, who one day decided to create his own chocolate, but uh, wanted to do it uh, uh, not despite the, the environment or... Mm -hmm. And is the coffee good? Yes, also. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that sounds very interesting. I think that the, that is something that's also done in, in New York. I heard about uh, a ship from New York sailing down to the Caribbean, picking up chocolate, taking it back to New York uh, by, by sail. And, You've heard um, about it? Yes, it, it's, it's not... It's not this French company. It's a company in, in New York that does, okay. this, does this. But their chocolate is three or four times more expensive than even really expensive chocolate. Ah, okay. No, it's not the case for this one. I think it's too, uh, too more expensive than the, the normal chocolate. Okay. Okay. Anyway, it's still an interesting concept. And perhaps if they had a bigger production they could reduce the cost, you know, but they also do it in traditional ways of fermenting the chocolate beans and all of that sort of thing. So they've, they've made it a very elaborate kind of, uh, of production. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's been really, really delightful talking to you. Thank you for uh, giving us your insights into what's up in France and what's going on during the pandemic. Also very interesting. And I hope we can talk again really soon. Thank you very much, Liz. It's been a pleasure for me too. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue. We come to you from the Camellia Bean Studio at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, part of the Nitty Grits Network. For more information on today's podcast, Join the Tip of the Tongue podcast group on Facebook. Please come by when you're in New Orleans and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like it, let us know in the comments. This is Liz Williams.